Today's episode is brought to you by ECC Frames. After 40 years in the framing business, ECC Frames has gotten into the custom business to market their services to all geeks. Framing comic books, trading cards, movie posters, record albums, gaming cartridges, action figures, and even models with quality and durability. Whether you're talking about frames or cubes, they use fine, durable Italian wood in their framing. UV-resilient acrylic and acid-free black matte board around the collectible. They also have different colors in frames and matte boards and can work with you to customize the look of your frame or cube to make an artful presentation you'll be proud to present in your Geek Cave. ECC did a great job for me preserving my original Spider-Man comic strips. I've talked about it before. Written by Stan Lee, drawn by Larry Lieber. They can do it for you at very reasonable rates. Think about it. You've probably spent hundreds or even thousands of dollars on a toy, a trading card, a comic book, or some vintage collectible. Don't you want to present and protect it from damaging sunlight and wear? Go to eccframes.com, see their work online, contact them about making a customized frame or cube for your collectible. Use the promo code WORDBALLOON for an additional savings on your order. Again, that's eccframes.com with the promo code WORDBALLOON. And now, on to the show. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Man, we got a great one for you today. Brad Meltzer is back. I Am Jim Henson came out about a month or so ago. Wonderful book. Of course, as always, drawn by Chris Iliopoulos. It's another great kid biography in the uh, Meltzer Iliopoulos Library. And what a great subject. Jim Henson, adored by millions. Uh, I think, uh, you know, right up there with Walt Disney is in terms of being a beloved creator of such a, a big body of uh, characters and shows. And we talk about them all, Sesame Street, The Muppet Show, our favorite Muppets. Uh, the real genius in, in terms of the way Henson figured out how to make puppets. And uh, it's, it's a really fun conversation. The book is great. Uh, it's great to read to your kids or have your kids read on their own. But also, as an adult, you'll probably get a kick out of it, learning a lot about uh, the history of Jim Henson, his inspirations, and uh, how he shared his uh, genius with the world. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I always do with Brad. We have fun. Uh, I, I always feel like uh, Brad gets to relax uh, when he talks to me, and uh, we just get to you know geek around and uh, talk about some of our favorite stuff. And you know, the guy has his uh, hands in television and comics and novels and kids' books, so uh, we get to cover a lot of subjects. Brad Meltzer. On today's Word Balloon, I'm glad you could join us today. It's uh, brought to you by ECC Frames at ECC.com. I talked about that at the beginning of the show, uh, but also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com, where uh, you can get some great savings this week on things like Astro City Honor Guard, great trade paperback from Kurt Busick and uh, Jesus Marino uh, doing the art chores uh, on uh, Honor Guard, uh, as opposed to uh, usually Brent Anderson, but a fantastic book. It's 42% off, just $11.59, one of the great series uh, from the 90s that's still chugging along, Astro City. Uh, Power Man and Iron Fist, trade paperback, uh, Volume 2, Civil War. Uh, this is uh, David Walker and uh, Flaviano Amentaro. Uh, and uh, Sanford's doing uh, covers, Sanford Green, who we love. Uh, great book and uh, great price again, 42% off, $9.85. You can get Star Wars, Legends, the Epic Collection, John Jackson Miller doing the writing, lots of great artists in this uh, collection. This is an old Republic 
uh, Epic Collection. It looks like uh, they're reprinting uh, some of the Dark Horse uh, material now at Marvel. Why not? That was such a great run at Dark Horse. Enjoy it again at a great savings, $23.19 for that collection. Uh, The first Wacky Race uh, Land trade paperback, uh, I'm surprised at how much I like uh, this book. I love the original cartoon. I I like this uh, modern spin on Wacky Races. Uh, This uh, collects the uh, six-issue miniseries. It's 42% off $9.85. Just the tip of the iceberg of the savings you'll find at InStockTrades.com. They also have a damaged book sale which I remember uh, I would go to their warehouse in Fort Wayne and take advantage of that. You are going to get ridiculous prices on books that have dings and dents and scratches, maybe crushed corners. And if you just really, really want the book at at an amazing price, uh, in-stock trades will help you out. And you'll be able to purchase a lot uh, because, don't forget, if your order reaches $50, then you reach that free shipping threshold. Uh, Take advantage of it now. Go to InStockTrades.com. All right. Let's uh, pick up our conversation with Brad Meltzer. Hey, thanks for your patience. I know it's been two weeks since my last episode. I had so many technical difficulties in the middle of a freelance project deadline that I cannot wait to tell you about uh, more uh, as uh, it reaches uh, publication. But uh, some some, uh, fun opportunities have come up in the last couple months, and uh, I was able to uh, take advantage of them. So uh, uh, thank you for your patience, and thank you, League of Word Balloon listeners, who uh, continue to support me via Patreon. More new people each month with uh, words of encouragement as I uh, uh, seek full-time employment again in radio. And uh, I thank you for your help in uh, keeping uh, the uh, lights on here at WordBalloon.com. If you have uh, any uh, interest in subscribing to the show, if you think Word Balloon is great and worth uh, the price of a comic book a month, can you spare you know, uh, $4, $5 a month, even a dollar, whatever you can spare... Uh, go to uh, wordballoon.com, click on the Patreon ad. It will take you to my Patreon page. And I will say now, as always, thank you, Word Balloon, uh, League of Word Balloon listeners, for your support. Also, it's uh, Try a Pod Month in March. Did you know about that? Um, if you've got a friend, I know all of us uh, who do podcasting, uh, this month in March, we've been encouraged to uh, let our listeners uh, know that they can help uh, expand the audience by just telling a friend who's never listened to podcasting before, hey, you know, you like podcasts, so share that information with a friend. If it's Word Balloon, that's fantastic. But, you know, if you've got a friend that likes uh, stories about sports, stories about old movies, uh, you know that podcasting has a podcast for pretty much every interest. Uh, Binge-watching television, uh, music podcasts, so many great things, Uh, music to jog or exercise by, Again, wonderful podcasts are out there, and uh, if you would think about all of us and uh, share that information with a friend and uh, send them a link to a podcast they know they'll like. I was enjoying uh, Gilbert Gottfried's show today with Jamie Farr. Hey! It was fantastic. A lot of Hollywood names that, uh, you know, uh, my usual word balloon guests that like old Hollywood be like, oh, I never heard of that guy before. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I knew it, and it was a good time. So uh, share a pod this month with your friends. We're going to be doing that throughout uh, the rest of March. And uh, I'll have more information for you at the end of the uh, episode. But now, I've wasted enough time. Let's uh, get to our conversation with Brad Meltzer about the great Jim Henson and a lot more. Brad Meltzer, back on Word Balloon. Brad Meltzer, welcome back to Word Balloon. As always, a pleasure to have you back, dude. Love being here. You know that. (laughs) Congrats on I Am Jim Henson. Perfect subject. Um, You know, the likelihood is that some of these kids have already... uh, 
had their first taste of Muppets, and what a better way to teach than to tell them, you know, the the man behind uh, what they love. The funny part is, is now that the book's been out a little bit, I get to see reactions to kids, and I, I'm not prepared for this one, but the number one reaction, beside like how he actually made Kermit the Frog, but is kids are clearly obsessed with beards. Interesting. Like, and it, my my <laughs> nephew is like, where's Jim Henson? I want to see his beard. Uh, you know, as if it's like some kind of like cover up thing like but he he's totally obsessed with his beard and so we found you know he saw a picture with you know, without the beard once which I, i've never i don't even think of one but he's like where's his beard like what, maybe when he was a kid and the kid in the book they show him when he's a kid in the back and he's like where's his beard then like he's and it, i just love that you know we can spend two years of our lives killing ourselves to put this book out and you know children are just obsessed with the beard <laughs> this is a fun uh subject for chris as well because now we get uh, the Iliopo- uh, the Iliopolis take on uh, on the Muppets. So how how was that for Chris and talking to him about you know, you know visually? Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and let, you know the truth is is like I, I'm going to say this, I, you know, and then Chris will argue with me when he hears this. But I actually think this was a harder book for him because he spends he's usually spending his time doing the Eliopolis version of some historical figures. So we can do a, you know, an adorable Abraham Lincoln. Here's Rosa Parks. Here's Dr. King. And everyone's like, Oh, he's going to do the cutest version of the Muppets. And when he first did his first draft of it, he, he drew like, it was almost like tracing <laughs> because he's so, he wants to be so painstakingly perfect. He was, he, he had almost like, it was almost like he did a photorealistic version of a Muppet. And I, and I had to write him and say, listen, man, the reason that everyone loves these books is not me. It's because they love your art. And that's what draws the kids in. So, like, don't be doing their Kermit. Do your Kermit. Do your Bertie, Ernie and Bert. Do your Sesame Street. And it took, like, a while for him to kind of, you know, in fact, even Henson's family, when he did his first version of the cover, was like, that looks like a photorealistic version of Kermit. Even they wanted like the Chris version of Kermit, which I think is just hard because you're doing a caricature of a caricature. Sure. Yeah. No. Well, he succeeded, and I mean, uh, God, there there are so many great, you know, pictures of just you know multitudes of the Muppets, whether it's the Variety Show or Sesame Street, or great picture at the end of the book too with all the Muppets just kind of standing around and everything. Um, I I really love that, and I also love the secret of the Muppets, which I never understood, and that is um, the the way that Henson constructed their eyes. Talk about that. Yeah, no, this was um, I, I learned this one when I met Jim Henson's daughter, um, and you know the the one thing they they took they had this show that was on a number of years ago, and it was called Celebrity Bucket List, and they're their definition of the word celebrity is clearly a pretty low one because they had me come on the show and they, and they said, you know, we'll give you whatever you want to do on your bucket list. You can do anything. And, and they were like, you want to jump out of a plane? I'm like, I don't care about jumping out of a plane. They're like, you want to be in a Broadway show? I'm like, I don't care about being on a Broadway show. They're like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I only want to do one thing. There's only one thing. I said, I want to take my kids to Sesame street. And they were like, we'll never be able to pull that off. I'm like, then I don't want to be on the show. And it's amazing, as always a lesson in Hollywood, what you can get if you just say no and walk away. And, and like a month later, I put my phone rang. I didn't care. You know, I didn't think a bunch of it. And they said, you're not going to believe this. We're going to get you to Sesame Street. And so we got to go to Sesame Street. I, and I took my family there, and they, like, let us make our own Muppets and run our own Muppets. And they had the guy who does, um, oh, my gosh, I'm blanking on his name, but who does um, uh, 
Kelly Monster do like an instructional thing for my kids. Okay. And he taught us that like the most important thing to do is focus and that every Muppet, the reason it works is that, you know, it has to have what, what they call focus. And he said that the trick was also, it's not just in the performer, but even Henson Design is he, he learned early on. And if you think of like uh, any other puppet you've ever seen, you know, they have two eyes and a nose and a mouth. And what Jim Henson realized is if you just have the eyes staring straight ahead, they look vacant. But if you cross their eyes just a tiny bit, like just a little bit, if you cross their eyes, then they focus on you. So if you really look, if you want to really ruin the Muppets for yourself forever, look at the Muppets and you'll see they're all a tiny, tiny, tiny bit cockeyed and it gives them focus. And I'm like, Jim Henson is just a mad scientist genius to come up with that. Absolutely. My God, that and um, the movement of the hand where the head is to, and I mean, you know, all people have to do is either look at your book or watch some Muppet video and, you know, they, they can look confused, they can look angry and it's the same eyes and it's not like they've got any sort of movement that they can manipulate eyebrows or anything like that. It's, I mean, especially the basic Muppets of Sesame Street and, and the Muppet Show and everything. And you get all these different emotional reactions from their face because of the cockeyed uh, eyes and also, the, again, the way you can move. And you head. also see that performer, right, the performance. I mean, there's a, you know, for those who watch Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which I will go on the record and say is, I think, my favorite Muppet project of all time. And, and I <laughs> totally snuck it in there. I had it, like, if you look in the back of the book, is there's always like, you know, Chris always puts me as like a cameo somewhere so kids can find me. I'm like the bald, where's Waldo? But he put me in front of the Emmett Otter Jug Band Christmas poster and, and next to it is my sister because my sister and I used to watch it when we were little every year. We were like two Jews watching the greatest Christmas special of all time. <laughs> and when we, when we watched it and I watch it now, Jim Henson is not Emmett Otter. Jim Henson actually plays like, I think it's Charlie. He plays like the, the, the otter that basically does the kazoo. And when I was watching it recently, you know, with my kid now I show it to, I was, you know, now I'm just super attuned to like who's doing what puppet. Because now that I've done the book, I'm like obsessed. And you can see, I'm like, who does this? Like I started looking at, you know, what are the best Muppet performers? And this total side character steals this song in this kazoo solo of all things. And it's just hysterically funny. And I'm like, I finally went on IMDb and like looked it up. And I was like, oh, that's why, because that little side Muppet is Jim Henson. And even like when it's not the big performance, you know he is the best at what there is. He's the Wolverine of the Muppets. He just has it, and he totally, and you could see it a mile away. It's just, it's all in the performance of it. You know, this is really uh, one of my favorite books because I really think it's as approachable as some of the subjects that you've you've had so far. It's probably one of the more approachable people. And I also think his own story of how he became more and more creative and, and that it, you know, was a factor of uh, a very loving and, and encouraging grandmother that kind of really sparked his imagination and stuff. I really think a lot of kids are going to be excited and I bet we'll be uh, diving into their parents' sock drawers and stuff and, uh, you know, starting their own little puppet shows. Yeah. I mean, we already see like all these kids doing puppets, but I think for me, what hits me is exactly what you just said. It's this, you know, his grandmother and grandfather play these huge roles in his life. And what happens is his grandma, Jim Henson's grandmother is just super creative. And she's the one who can like sew out of an army blanket and would come over and do arts and crafts projects. And he would want to draw weird birds. And she would just encourage that. And his grandfather, he 
used to say had a great sense of humor, but his sense of humor was never at anyone else's expense. Is that his grandfather just believed you should laugh with people, not at them. And when you look at the full creation of Kermit, that's where it comes from. And, you know, his grandmother, he takes his, he takes his mother's coat and uses the lessons his grandmother taught him about sewing. He takes a, uh, not joking, his mother's wool coat and cuts it apart, sews it back together, took, takes two ping pong balls for eyes. And that's how the world gets Kermit the Frog and then gives it this personality that never laughs at anyone, that never makes fun of anyone, is always just at the center of the chaos being the kind soul. And I was like, oh, crap, that's his grandparents, like put together in a perfect little, you know, metaphoric, you know, amalgamation. Sure. And for me, it hits home because my grandfather was the one who I I still credit as me being a storyteller. He used to tell me this same story about Batman. He used to tell me every time I was with him, he would, I would say, he would say, Batman and Robin, is that a story one? He would say, Batman and Robin are in the Batmobile, and they're on the edge of a cliff, and in front of them on the cliff, they're chasing a white van, and in the van is the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, and Catwoman. And then they would catch him, and I would say to him, tell it again. <laughs> and he would say, Batman and Robin are in the Batman. He would tell me this story that had like 35 words in it, over and over, because I just loved the story and like that you know that that connection to your grandparents and giving you that that thing it it affects me it just gets in my dna and and for me when i was five years old jim henson taught me that you could use your creativity to entertain people but more important to inspire them and to teach kindness and goodness and i and i hope that here i am today all those you know 40 years later using that same lesson jim henson taught me just trying my best to use my creativity to put a little bit more goodness into the world. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's an inspiring story. And then just, again, it's all these little things he did. You know, I I was an original Sesame Street kid. It, the show debuted like a month before my fifth birthday. So I really was, and my, my dad, to his credit, was like, you're going to watch this because it's going to teach you how to count. I mean, they, they really had it in the newspapers and everything. And in fact, there was even a newspaper supplement when Sesame Street was starting that would have, you know, lessons that they were going to do on the TV show. So you could literally follow along. And it really, it it was great. And I mean, honestly, I was, I was reading uh, two grades ahead of myself once I hit school up until fourth grade where they had me with, with uh, people, you know, two years older than me. And it was because you just bottomed down, you bottomed down fourth grade. That was it. (laughs) Exactly. Slid to the bottom. So So favorite Muppets. Oh, of course, and I was going to get to that with you, absolutely. Uh, for me, it's uh, Lou Zealand number one, because I love yeah, Lou Zealand and his Zealand, boomerang, boomerang fish. fish. <laughs> that hair and the way, oh, it's great, how you doing? I love that voice. And then also uh, Sam the Eagle, of course, and, you know, very Nixonian. I mean, now he just comes off as a very, you know, too dignified for his own good eagle and stuff. But literally, Sam was created during the Nixon administration, and he was very yeah, no, Nixon. Sam the Eagle is like the greatest Republican of all time, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> like, he's just a, I love him. I mean, he would have his own, like, he's like, uh, yeah, no, no, Sam the Eagle is, is high on my list of uh, underrated puppets. So who are yours? Okay, so uh, underrated? We're going to do underrated, not because I've done the sure. best, and I feel like, you know what, we let's not do that. So underrated... Um, okay, number 10, again, I'll, I'm going to oh, guess here a little bit. List. I'll mix a couple up. Um, number 10, I think I'll do like Dr. Teeth and Janice. 
because I just think like Dr. Teeth is awesome, but Janice is just like the coolest, funkiest, like, wow, man, I love her. Um, Free spirit. Absolutely. Free spirit. Yeah. She was like clearly like the only Muppet not wearing a bra ever. Um, (laughs) Number nine, I'd say Crazy Harry likes to blow things up. That that was like always fun to me as a kid. He just seemed like the dangerous Muppet. Um, New Zealand, I'll say I'll go for eight. I maybe even put him higher, but like Boomerang Fish is the best and it's just a good bit. (laughs) Seven, let's say Staller and Waldorf. Although, let's be honest, they could be on like a top list of the best puppets ever, but they're you oh, know yeah. they're still kind of underrated. Um, six, I still like Rolf because he's like takes two pieces to do it. It's like because he's got two hands and a mouth, so it takes two people to actually operate him, and, and he's just he is like the great bartender. Um, yes. Five. Uh, let's see. Five. I'll say Snuffleupagus. I like Snuffleupagus. In fact, when we sure. went to Sesame Street. One of my greatest moments of being there is a we. There was one point where I had my hand in and was doing. I think it was like the the trunk of Snuffleupagus, and my son was doing like the mouth, and I was doing the eyes, and it was just we were together. My son and I controlling Snuffleupagus. I was like, life doesn't get more crazy and rewarding than this exact moment um, with the real Snuffleupagus. Um, I forgot what number we're on now, but I'll say. I think five. Around five or something like that. Uh, so four, I still love the Yip Yip Martians. I think they're the best. <laughs> yip, 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 yip. I just love them. They made me laugh when I was little. I remember being like wanting them physically to come on an episode of Sesame Street. Like, when are they coming back? Um, I'll give you Sam the Eagle is three for sure. Two, Emmett Otter. Um, and I, Emmett Otter could be my one, but one is still, it's like, Truly, like the most underrated comedy duo is, is Dr. Bunsen, Honeydew, and Beaker. Sure. Uh, I'll go for one, although I could put them Emmett over there too. They're just good. Um, so that's my that's like a a general list, but you know, we all reveal ourselves when we reveal our favorite Muppets. This is true, uh, you know, and also we we had another conversation, and we were talking about how much we both loved uh, the the Ernie and Bert dynamic, and how they really are like the perfect odd couple. And it, you know, that would be great to see. Is is Bert and Ernie perform Neil Simon's Odd Couple? You leave little It'll notes like, on my pillow. It'll be like they're so meta. Yeah. The thing that's great about Bert, and, the thing that's great about Bert and Ernie, is that it, it's true. You know, like to me, the fun of the Justice League of the Avengers was that you took the best of the best and you brought them together. Like if you thought that Superman was great, combine Superman and Batman and Green Lantern and Flash. You thought the Avengers were great. Like here's Thor and Iron Man and Cap. Like you know. And so the, the idea of bringing it together always had an appeal for me. What I love about Ernie and Burt is that it's Jim Henson and Frank Oz. They are the true titans. They are the Superman, Batman, the Cap, and Iron Man. They are like the, the, the cream of the crop, best performers. And they're pouring their souls into it, not for profit, but for like a decade into just nothing more than kids' public television. Yep. And man, they're just killing it on every episode. They're just so good together. The chemistry is so good. And it's so physically good that it reprises for Kermit and Miss Piggy as lovers. Like that chemistry can only come from these two performers who just understand each other in like sub, some primordial way and that only like a good marriage can maintain that, you know, but I feel like it's like the Beatles, you know, if they were puppeteers, like if they were puppeteers, like it's just something in the alchemy of their performances happens that alone they could never do by themselves. I agree. Hey, what did you think of that ABC 
sitcom because you know it for me um there was a lot of really good moments in that show and i'm really disappointed i don't know if it was an expensive show to do but i really felt that you know just like every television show sometimes you need more than a season to really gel and granted these characters all work together in movies and, and television for years so it's so from that standpoint there's one thing but i really did feel like uh they were onto something and weren't given enough time to really make it happen yes it's funny i, I actually I, I think i net out the other way and i, I you know i'm I making a rule never to kind of like bad mouth anything so i don't want to just bad mouth it. i just think that for me you know and i just don't ever buy the like you know kermit's not talking to pig anymore like, I understand, you know, we all know in comics, you don't want everything just always be good. You know, Bob Shrek, sure. uh, you know, once said to me that the job of writing comics is you got to make these characters everyone loves miserable. And the best stories come from making them miserable. And I was like, you know, he's like, that's why people get mad at us. But the truth is the best stories come from when we make these characters we love miserable. But I feel like for the Muppets, I know that you have to have conflict. You must always have conflict. But I feel like... I never bought the idea that like Kermit is estranged from anyone or that like there's a break. I don't know. It just, it, it suddenly that. made their life, it made their lives sucky. Like I was uh, looking for something that, you know, I always look for the Muppets as like, whatever they have, they can be better and kinder and, and, and warmer than we are. And that was their lesson. And when they just like suffer like the rest of us, it, I don't know. They, to me, that's where the alchemy went wrong. And I feel like that's when the audience turned on the show. Cause they were like, I'm not buying that. I don't believe well, I that Kermit's going to be a dick to anybody. Yeah, well, and you know, he well, he was really just you know mostly put upon. But no, I, I agree with you. I think breaking uh, Miss Piggy and Kermit up was dumb. I, never I remember saying, right? I remember it's always Miss Piggy. Saying, yeah, I, I, well, we were a formal guy. The um, I, I also remember <laughs> hearing Frank Oz and you know talk about it was, and I got to look it up because it, it's just at this point it just becomes pure gossip. But I feel like I remember reading something. I forget if it was for the movie or the show of just Frank Oz being like Jim Henson. You know, he knows the core of the Muppets, right? He's he's part of that DNA as much as anybody was, and sure. he just knew that like that's not what you know. There's you know I always say that a really good character is one where when you put him in a situation, you know exactly what they're going to do, or you at least at the very least know what they won't do. So if I say to you, and then Superman's going to be a dick. You're like, you know, I'm just, you just don't buy it. Or if you say, you know, and then Cap is going to, sure. going to, you know, lie to someone's face, you know, just because he doesn't want to tell the truth, not for anyone's good, but because he's embarrassed. You just know that something feels wrong about that. The character is so well-defined, you know, that that's just not how they act. And when it's wrong, you smell it a mile away. And I feel like, I want to look it up now, but I feel like, you know, Frank Oz just knew that that's just not what Kermit does. And I, and, and that stuck with me. I couldn't shake that. I understand. And really, for me on the show, it was the small moments that were the funniest moments. And like, no, you like time Dick they were Muppets. All... That's what you like. No, no, no. It was, I was <laughs> even going to say <laughs> Dick Muppets. <laughs> I, uh, there was one where they were all at a bar uh, hanging out, and the Swedish chef just started uh, singing uh, Rapper's Delight. I can always be down for that. Like that, you know, you're sold. But, you know, to me, I, I, you know, the funny thing was, is I didn't realize when the Muppet show went off, it was at the height of its popularity. And I love that, you know, in a strange odd way, the Muppet movie, you know, that first one was gold. And even the remake, I thought the first one was really, really good. Yeah. But, you know, 
it, it doesn't work every time. It doesn't it, it doesn't work as magically, and it has to kind of they have to have a mission that I feel like is more about them together. Um, that that's yeah. when it that's when the Muppets work best, and I think that's why the Muppet Show went off at the perfect time because I think if you just if you start running into just like okay now let's make conflicts amongst themselves, you know the, the again it goes against what we were saying about the grandfather right is like their their sense of humor was never at each other's I mean. Obviously, you would make fun of Fuzzy Bear and Seller and Waldorf were busting them all the time. But I remember when, when I got to interview Jim Henson's daughter, one of the questions that my friend Noah, uh, who loved your show, like, had me ask, and I love this question, was, you know, we all associate Jim Henson with Kermit. And the question I asked her was, is, are any of the other, you know, as the daughter of Jim Henson, are there other Muppets that you can see as you guys, as your family members, as your, your brothers and sisters that, you know, that we don't know about, but that you see so clearly. And, you know, she paused on answering and said, and this was her answer, which I thought was, you know, mind-blowing to me, is she said, she doesn't see a particular Muppet that's like, this is my brother or these are my sisters. But what she saw was, is that she saw that her family and that when Jim Henson had young kids and younger kids in his house, that's when he did Sesame Street. And she's like, so that was all us. And then when he did the Muppet show, we were all teenagers and our house was chaos. And we had like, you know, birds and cats and dogs and all these pets and like all these teenagers running around the house. And I was like, and she was like, and that was the Muppet show. It was just chaos. And, you know, all these animals and birds and monsters and freaky things. And, and I was like, oh, so like you guys, the Muppets. She's like, yes, schmuck. Yes, Brad. Yes, we are. And I, and I just loved that, you know, we all know that the best and most authentic story you can tell is your own story and that Jim Henson was, was kind of doing that. And I think it's why when there's that internal conflict, it just goes against that Kermit, you know, that the center of it all in the middle of that chaos, you know, the one lesson that Jim Henson taught in every episode of The Muppet Show and the best Muppet movies was that you can have all this chaos and you can have these, you know, these creatures and these, and you can have, a, you know, a comedian bear and you can have a diva pig and you can have whatever Gonzo is. But the way we <laughs> sing, the way we sing best is when we all sing together. And that Kermit at the end is always brings us together. And to me, that just has to be at the core of a successful Muppet project. I'm with you. Definitely. What, uh, have you announced what your next I am book is going to be? Um, I forget what we've, you know, at this point, I forget what we've announced internally, and I think they announced it. Um, so we're doing uh, two that are, I mean, you know, again, we luck into the dumb timing of this. Uh, what happened was, is, you know, we, we picked these things like almost two years in advance. And so we're doing, uh, the next one, we're doing two books again, like we did George Washington and Jane Goodall. We did them together in, in last September. So this coming September, although I think it'll be the first week of October because it's one of the, one of the characters, uh, one of the heroes' birthdays, we're doing I am Sacagawea and I am Gandhi. And I just think on the Gandhi side, my God, that we as a country need some Gandhi lessons right now. And I was reading it with my son and I had written the book and Chris hadn't drawn it yet. And the election happened and I wanted my son, you know, so many people were so angry about different things for the election. And I said to my son, you need to read this. And I made him read the script. He's never read anything that I've written in script form, but I was like, you know, you need to read this. And as he was reading it, I was reading it. And as I was reading, I was like, my gosh, we all as a nation need this right now. Like, not my great writing, but Gandhi's teachings. And it was like in rereading the script that I was doing with Gandhi's work, you know, work in it, 
it just made me find like what, you know, just the end of this us versus them mentality that we've been in. And, and again, you know, like Jim Henson or, you know, only, you know, I'll, maybe I'll wager on the first person to link Jim Henson and Gandhi, but really we sing best when we sing together. And boy, do we need that. I agree with you. Absolutely, man. With the very uh, last couple minutes here, I'm interested because a couple new uh, superhero-based uh, TV shows have kind of debuted, and I'm wondering if you had a chance to see either uh, Legion or Powerless. Legion I can't wait for. I actually blurbed um, Noah Hawley's book, who's the showrunner on Legion, and so I, I got the blurb yes. thriller, which I really, really like. Uh, and I never do blurbs for thrillers because I, I just never do, but I did that one. Um, so I have, I have them taped. I haven't watched. What was the other one you said after Legion? Powerless, the DC oh, I haven't uh, comedy. Seen that. No, I haven't seen that. I mean, there were, yeah. Okay. No, not for, I mean, what do I even watch? We, we, I mean, watch it. You know, my kids love, my son loves the flash and loves, um, cool. and loves legends. I mean, you know, Mark Guggenheim was a dear friend. I went to dinner. It was really great. We went, when we did the, I am Jim Henson book events, I went out afterwards for dinner, and it was myself and Dan DiDio. And then I went out with Mark Guggenheim, who runs Legends and Arrow, and Michael Green, mm-hmm. who is the running American, is working on American Gods, and also uh, one of the screenwriters of Logan and a Blade Runner. And, and, and it's not just a name drop bomb that I'm dropping here. The reason I tell you this is that Michael and uh, Mark, myself, Wendy uh, Miracle, who is also the co-showrunner on Arrow, we were all on Jack and Bobby together with Greg Berlanti, who obviously does all the shows. And we were sitting there and we were like, we didn't realize it at the time, but Jack and Bobby was the nerdiest comic book writer's room that ever existed in the history of Hollywood. <laughs> and, but like, you know, if you look at who was in that room, you know, Steve Cohen went to do BoJack Horseman, um, uh, Eric Olson went to do Man in the High Castle. It was, you know, it was bananas when we looked at it that, you know, we could trace so much of the of the Hollywood stuff to, like, writers that were in that room. And I remember I was working on Identity Crisis when I was in Jack and Bobby, and I, everyone kept coming to me and, and the writers and saying, hey, man, you know, I'd love to do some comics, and I would make introductions to anyone who wanted. But I just love that how many people in that room on a show about politics, of all things, are now working, entertaining, and doing superheroes. <laughs> That's fantastic, man. Is Jack and Bobby streaming anywhere? Because I, I always love going back and watching uh, some of these shows that really don't get beyond a first season, sometimes only even half a season. Yeah, no, no. Um, I mean, I yeah, we were on the, yeah, Entertainment Weekly put us on their list of, like, the top 11 best canceled shows in history, and we were on that list. And, I'm, and I was sure. like, I don't know if you want to be on that list or not. Like, it's... You know, like, and, and, and let's be realistic. I mean, we also, you get extra love because you're canceled. Like, if we went five seasons, we wouldn't get near as much love as we did when we were, like, you know, abruptly pulled after 22 episodes. Um, I know it was it yeah. was on Netflix for a bit, and then they, I forget it wasn't on there. Someone told me it's on YouTube now. I, I got to find out. I, I still don't know why they didn't do, like, streaming or DVDs of it, but hopefully one day. I mean, I think someone uploaded them all to YouTube at some point, but. Boy, would that show have a... I mean, I remember sitting in that room and just talking comics. Like, here we were writing this political show, but we were just talking comics and comics and more comics. And I remember, in fact, in the same office that Jack and Bobby was, in the same building downstairs from us was Smallville. And so Michael Green and I used to go and sneak downstairs and hang out with Jeff Loeb, who was at that point, you know, on Smallville. 
and he would he was like the wise old man who would tell us like all the horror stories of how the comic industry was. Um, and you know, and then and then Jeff and then we go back with Jeff and hang out with Jeff Johns and Alan Heinberg, because Jeff Loeb and Jeff Johns used to be um, used to have a little studio together. And it, you know, all of us were just kids at that point. We were in our early twenties, um, just excited to be playing in this universe. But you know, it, I just it's amazing to me how many of them have, in a strange way, like left comics behind. As many of them worked in comics and are and are really bringing it to that that movie theater and that TV show, I just, you know, it, it makes me, my nerd heart proud. And they don't need <laughs> to know. Now, there was a time that... was, Yeah, the time, comics were not nearly as cool. Like, you know, it was like still that secret sure. thing that you talked about, but we were like, you know, you know the comic people, we can all find each other really quickly. <laughs> now, I got to ask, because uh, there was a time that it was almost uh, one after the other, you would concentrate on a book and then uh, do a new comic book project. Are there any comic book projects in the near future, or where where are you right now in the world? Of you know, beyond being a reader. Yeah, no, no. And we should talk about some comics we're reading because I love plugging people's stuff. But um, you know, I lo- I would love to do it. I obviously I stand the deal is still one of my nearest and dearest. Um, and you know, Joe Casada has been one of the nicest people in the world, and and Tom Brevoort, and all. I love these guys, and Brian Bendis. I mean, these are my friends who I love. And I would sure. I would kill to do something. It's just the the reality is is doing the I am and the kids book series is really what took my comic book time and and the time that I would do a six issue run of a comic book series is basically what I do to do these books and so that's the stuff. I will say though that there is a comic book project that I am working on. It's not a DC or Marvel one, but we are going to do one because um, I just think there's one one that I just really one well, one off that I really want to do. And so I'm going to totally opposite of what you're thinking. It's not a superhero thing at all, but something that I do want to work on. And that should hopefully be coming out next year. That's cool. Creator owned or uh, somebody else's character? Uh, owned by the universe. Let's just say that. And um, okay, but, but that's an important, you know, I just was like, you know what? I can do this. We can pull it off and have just had the help of a lot of amazing comic creators to help me pull it off. So I've been slowly pulling that together over the last couple of months. That's awesome, man. Very, very good. Well, you know, the I Am series has uh, distinguished itself, uh, and I'm very glad that so many people have jumped on the bandwagon for you and Chris because uh, you're doing a lot of fun stuff, and I'm a I'm a big biography fan. I mean, that's what I devoured when I was a little kid, and I still do it, in fact. And I really do think it only – I mean, it's storytelling at the end of the day, but it really does, I think, help promote uh, better reading skills from kids and the way you guys are doing it, I think, uh, is the right combination of, of pictures and words that will ignite these, you know, small minds and make them read more. So, you you know, you're doing a good no, job. No, I, look, I appreciate it. But you know what? I mean, I, again, it's like I wish we, we could take credit for it. All we're doing is channeling these amazing people. Chris is doing the heavy lifting. He has to make it look amazing, which he does. But, you know, you I, when we went back to do Jim Henson, I was actually nervous because I was like, it's nostalgia. Right, that's all it is. It's me going and saying, "I love the Muppets, I love Ernie Bird, I love Kermit and Miss Piggy and everyone." And I'm going to just do nostalgia. And we all know also that nostalgia is a total trap. Like just because it was old doesn't mean it's good. And but it wasn't until I got in back into like, okay, what makes this thing tick? That I was like completely happily relieved to see that the core of it is not a funny voice or a cute song or you know Jim Henson being able to even a great puppeteer. It's the soul of the message itself. 
it's that belief that being good and being kind and creating and believing and pretending are lessons we should never, ever outgrow. And, and if comics taught me anything, it's I will never apologize for being a do-gooder. boy. Very cool, man. Well, I know you got to get going. Let's. Uh, wait, wait, you want to do it? We always end with let's... a quick run of what, what comics are reading. Talk to me. Oh, okay, good. If you got, yeah, if you yeah, got yeah. a couple got, more minutes, yeah, sure. let's do a couple minutes. We got because we got. I, I love promoting anything. That's. Uh, well, I'm trying to think. What are we reading? So tell me what, what you're reading. This guy. I'll tell you. I, I'll tell you. I've been. Um, I know I've said it a million times, but I'll say it a million and one. I still think that the best book of the last year was Vision by Tom King. I thought I still love that book. Here, here. Um, here, I'm just here. glad it's out in trade and people are enjoying it. He's he's doing an amazing job on Batman, yeah, no, too. Really I'm not kidding. Batman. I was... No, I like, I lo- yeah, I'm a fan. I'm, I I love his stuff. What you know, and being a DC, you know, I mean, honestly, you've done I know DC and Marvel stuff, but really, I always think of you more as a DC guy because of Identity Crisis and Rebirth. You know, Jeff Jeff's a good friend of yours and everything. What do you think of Rebirth so far? Oh, I mean, the DC. I stuff. mean, you know, I, I love. Listen, Jeff is one of my dearest friends, and uh, just you know, on this planet, when it comes to, that, especially on this in, in this industry for, you know, liking the same kinds of comics. Um, and so I just, I love that. His thing of Rebirth, I thought was spectacular. I just, I, I loved all the, because it was all emotion, right? It wasn't about punching villains in the face. Like, it was getting to the core of these characters okay. in their direction. To me, the best parts of comics, Marvel or DC, is that they have a unity, they have history together, you know? And when you have history, as with any old friendship, it's complicated. It's not just, yeah, we're friends and let's go, or yeah, we're enemies and let's fight. Like, it's complicated. And when you can have 60, 75 years of, of a character, um, you know, in the right hands, it's the most rich, perfectly defined. I, you know, I, I always maintain Batman is the best defined character in all of literature. You can take any situation and put Batman in it. And you may argue what, you know, he's going to do or won't do, but no one will argue what he wouldn't do. Everyone knows if I said, and then Batman sings, you know, everyone's like, no, he doesn't. And he's just by, by, hundreds of hands touching him as, you know, on the writer and the artist front, he's just been honed into this perfect character. And so watching Tom King still find something new to pull out of him and especially the villains is, and same thing with vision. Like how many vision stories have we read, you know, and, and, and how many robot stories have we seen, but to watch him pull a new thread of his soul out um, and make him terrifying. And that sense of, of, you know, the, the Hitchcock quote, is not the bang that's scary. It's the anticipation of it. My God, I felt like yes. on page one, I was terrified for when everything was going to go to crap um, in terms of... Yeah, the- it, was, it felt like... It, go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead. ahead. In terms of... I was going to say, it reminded me of like really good Ray Bradbury, really good Outer Limits or Twilight Zones in terms of, yeah, suddenly... How often can... I mean, Ex Machina is the only other dangerous robot story I can think of recently that really did... Have something new to say and made me uneasy. Oh, you got to read. You should read. You, know, you, should read you should read Pluto, uh, the manga Pluto, P L U T O. Um, I'll never, I'll yeah. mispronounce that guy's name, but just put in Pluto, like Mickey Mouse's dog, and manga, and that's the best book you're going to read this year. I mean, it's. I'm not a manga person. I, I tend because I just don't like the gratuitous like panty shots, and I just not for me. But boy, this is about basically. I think it's the seven most deadly robots in the world, nine most deadly robots in the world, and they're slowly being murdered. And it's a murder mystery as they try to figure it out, and it's the best robot story beside Hilo that I've read. That you know, it's so good. This is true, and I forget that Hilo is a robot story. Yep. And yeah, no, Judd is doing a great job. Volume three just came out of Hilo. We've talked about the first two books. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm. There's another good example of a, of a of a good kids book series, and he brings 
his comic book art sensibility to the book. Yeah. And some of those action shots in Hilo, I think, are so great. Yeah, no, and, and I think, again, if you're a little the, kid, it's thing, really yeah, exciting. But, but the best thing about Hilo is it has a soul, right? The best part of the character moments. I mean, sure. when you find out, you know, that DJ is like, the, you know, all of his relatives are good at something. He's the kid who's good at nothing. You know, he's just the average. And you're just like, God, I know everything that character wants right now. And Judd did it in one yep. panel. It was artful. Um, That's and true. I, what else am I reading? I like, I really, I'm enjoying the fix. I just like that. It just feels like, you know, just a great little indie, amazing, you know, just, it's like cape, part caper pick, but part, you know, kind of, you know, just great character bits. Um, I really like, I totally. love, Absolutely. I love Southern Bastards. I just love that book. I think Jason Aaron is of killing it. Um, I love that he can write like, I Texas. like the Black Monday murders. The what? The uh, Jonathan Hickman Black Black Monday murders, Jonathan. You no, know, someone just told me about that. I haven't read it. I want to read it. I love Hickman's stuff. I mean, the funny thing is, I just still love that um, that Jason Aaron can do like Southern Texas drawl, and then do Thor. I like that is just the best. Yep. Like I'm jealous of that because you could do one, and one of those is a totally different voice <laughs> than your normal English, and he's doing two, and that makes me just like, I'm just impressed. Um, what else am I reading? I That's I true. like. Uh, Listen, I love just seeing Frank quietly draw the crap out of uh, Jupiter's Legacy or Circle or whatever the new one is. Um, I love seeing him sure. back on that because I just think <laughs> no one does that. Um, I love, I, listen, I love what, what Brian's doing on Iron Man and on all the, all the, I, I've always maintained, I think Brian's best books are when he's doing a single character because I think he could just give it the full attention that a team book can never allow to a character. And so... I think from Spider-Man to Iron Man to the, you know, the Iron Doom or whatever, you know, whatever the, you know, the Dr. Doom Iron Man to like, I just, yes. those books, Riri is just amazing. Like he's just getting character moment, you know, Ben Grimm sitting with Maria Hill. I mean, those I'll pay money just for those panels. They're so good. I'm with you. I, you know, I love when Ben uh, always faces uh, Dr. Doom. And that he calls him Vic. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, because these are two guys that went to college together. And, and you know, Ben was the jock and Vic was the little emo asshole. Right. And it's like, yeah, you don't impress me, Vic. I don't care. I don't care how many worlds you conquer and how many cosmic powers you steal. You're still that jerk Vic from college oh, that I've always hated. I think they, and I think that's really oh, cool when I, it comes well, I can read a new Marvel 2-in-1 that is nothing but Vic. <laughs> Devon Dune and Ben Grimm going at each other. That's it. That's the only Marvel to them when there needs yep. to be. Like, they, the two of them are, because they just stand for, some, you know, it's like a Joker-Batman thing going. Like, it's just, you know, it's all polished and science and knowledge versus everything that is unpolished and raw and beaten. Like, it, they're perfect villains. They're, you know, everyone thinks that the perfect foil for Doom is Reed Richards. I, I, I think that Brian's figured it out. It's not. It's Ben Grimm. He's actually far more interesting against him. Watching Doom fight Reed Richards is, is, you know, it's just a mirror fight. It's just, you know, and that's fine because one went good sure. and one went bad, but they're two alike. Um, you know, that to me is like when, when, you know, when Batman fights the Riddler. Like, they can both be smart and they both use their brains, but to really be the best villain, you have to be total chaos of Batman's order. And that's why the Joker is the better villain. And to me, you know, I just love that Ben Grimm almost stands as a, as a, as a soul as something that is opposite what doom will, will stand for, you know, all that, all no, the, all really the regal, all the, all the, you know, the hoity toity stuff, all the polish, all the, you know, knowing sir, madam, knowing you know, all that stuff. Ben Grimm can give a crap about. <laughs> 
it's always fun to discover someone that really captures a character's voice. And I think uh, Bendis is a good match for for Ben Grimm. I mean, Slot certainly proved it in his Thing solo series. So it's uh, it's you know we grew up as uh, with the Thing being an A list character on his own. Oh, that's Marvel like you said, one, Marvel baby. Two that and One's a climb. Burns, and Burns Fantastic Four. I mean, you know. It, yes. And listen, love, you know, what Spot does, love what everyone does. But, you know, sometimes you just find that perfect story for that perfect character. And my God, is it to me doom. Yeah, I'm with you. No, very cool, man. Excellent. All right. Well, now okay. I'll let you go because I, I, I think we're running against the clock. And I usually catch you in a in a, in a car or something like that. Thank God it's not the bus yes. because we'd hear the uh, people hitting the ding Dang. button every time they need That's to stop, stop or whatever. But, uh, I do, exactly. Now I, now I there want you to go, dude. No, the pleasure. <laughs> You're welcome. Love and I always used to do our conversations in the car because he had a long commute to Marvel Studios where it was originally from where he lived. And so, yeah, usually I would have to catch him at like 10 in the morning as he's driving into work. That sounds like Loeb. That sounds so that, I understand. That's Loeb that's screwing you over. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm going to leave you with this. This, 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 this yeah, was Jeff Loeb's greatest advice to me when we sat in the Smallville writer's room. It was, or We went downstairs and it was me and Michael Green and Jeff Loeb. And we were like the two, you know, young kids looking to the man, the old wise man advice. And I, I told him this story, how much it meant to me. And he said to me, here's the thing about Hollywood. He explained it. It was the old man you know, having us on his knee. And Jeff Loeb said that there are three reasons you can take a job when you think about taking a new job. He's like, one is you love the job itself. Two is you love who you're working with. And three is they're paying you a crap load of money. And two of those things three things have to be true. And I remember sitting there at the time being like, wow, man, that is wise advice. And now I bust his balls and tell him, I'm like, that was totally wrong. Like it could only be the first two. <laughs> it has to be the first two. Cause if you're doing it for the third, you're going to hate it. And, um, and so I love, you know, I'll, what did he say? So the third one is, is, uh, you got to be paid a lot of money. And I just wouldn't, you know, right. What did he say? No, you know, no, no, guys, yeah. listen, we live, we live to give each other crap. I mean, that's the fun. <laughs> But I still maintain now, like when I was younger and we were trying to pay off loans, yes, the third one was true. Um, but, boy, the only way to get good work is, is if, you know, one and two are the only two things that you should be getting on the job for. Understood, man. Well, you know, and again, I, I'm glad you are in a position that you can kind of call what you want to write about and stuff. Certainly you're doing it with these IM books. And uh, that's great, man. And I'm really glad the audience is responding. I am Jim Henson out now. And uh, look for I Am Sacagawea and I Am Gandhi uh, come October from uh, Chris Iliopoulos doing the drawing and Brad Meltzer doing the writing. No, thank thanks you. And thanks to all the, listen, all the people in our comic community who just support and support and support these books. They are the first ones who got, gave us our shot. And I love that they're helping their, you know, we're helping them build a library of real heroes for their kids and their grandkids and their nieces and their nephews. That's just awesome. I have the feeling that if uh, Meltzer and I lived in the same town, He'd like uh, probably you know call the cops and tell him to have this guy stop pestering me because I always enjoy talking to Brad. It's always too brief, but uh, we always have fun and uh, glad to have him back. And I'm uh, sure I'll find an excuse in the months I've had to uh, welcome Brad back to a new word balloon. But I hope you enjoyed today's uh, presentation today. Uh, it was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are fantastic books waiting for you at great prices. Check out their website now, InStockTrades.com. Word Balloon was also brought to you by ECC Frames. Uh, this is a great company, and I am a customer that has enjoyed their work, and I would like to share that with you. If you've got 
uh, comic books, trading cards, movie posters, gaming cartridges, record albums, action figures, models that you're proud of, any vintage collectible that you want to not only present, but really importantly protect with a nice durable frame or a nice durable cube, then uh, ECC frames are the people you're looking for. 40 years in the business, they know what they're doing. They have uh, excellent product that they put into their frames and cubes, whether it's the fine, durable Italian wood, uh, the UV-resistant acrylic, and uh, the acid-free mat boards that they use. Uh, do yourself a favor. Contact eccframes.com. They are the people to go to to uh, protect your collectible and uh, also present it in a way that you'll be very proud and uh, can show off whether it's in your library or your geek cave, whatever you think of. So I was going to say man cave, but I know women have their uh, their uh, destinations. I don't know if they want to call it a cave. See, they, even that is sexist. What's wrong with me? ECCframes.com. Uh, if you go there and use the promo code WordBalloon, you'll get an additional savings on your frame or cube. That's ECCframes.com. Use the promo code WordBalloon. Thanks again for listening today. Uh, I will be back in a couple days with another new episode. Uh, this weekend is Fanex in Salt Lake City. I am so excited to be doing the spring show for uh, Salt Lake City's Comic-Con called Fanex. And, man, it's going to be great. I'm going to be talking to Marv Wolfman on a panel. Uh, Marty Pasco has a spotlight panel about the Batman animated series. I imagine uh, with the release of the Judas Contract animated movie, uh, Marvel, Marv and I will be having a titan focus. Uh, conversation. But, uh, you know, don't forget, if you're there and uh, you go to these panels, please, any questions, any subject, I'm sure when it's Q&A time, uh, the guys would be happy to talk to you about uh, their triumphs in uh, the comic and uh, otherwise related material uh, worlds, uh, because both have great credits in uh, animation and live television and uh, a whole lot more. Uh, so uh, this is going to be a really fun for me. I'm on three additional panels as well, including one with uh, my hero, Dr. Demento, the great novelty DJ who delighted me uh, from, you know, my Mad Magazine reading years uh, to today and exposed me to a lot of great uh, comedic uh, uh, people that uh, made amazing songs, including Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, Dr. Demento really discovered Weird Al, and I'm sure that'll be part of the presentation. So Fanex, uh, it's Salt Lake City. Can't wait to go. If all works out, I will have panels from Fanex as well to present here on future Word Balloon episodes. So thanks for listening today. Looking forward to talking to you in just another couple days. March, uh, I know, uh, got off to a rocky start, and it will seem like there are less episodes, but we will make up for it with the days that we have left. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017.